Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of The Lowdown. Today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Fraser Robertson, assistant coach of Standard Liège. Fraser, big warm welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me on. I've got a bit of a cold, so hopefully with my cold and Scottish accent, it's not too hard for people to understand me. Um, Fraser, um, as we begin with every guest that comes on the show, could you please take us through your earliest football memory? My earliest football memory, that's a good question. Uh, I think it sounds kind of simple, but it's just really kind of growing up playing in the street. It's nothing... Nothing too fancy, nothing too, too, I don't know, it's not really a big story. It'll be like probably any normal kid growing up all over the world, just enjoyed playing football, enjoyed playing with your friends. I probably still grew up in a, a time where it was street football. You would go and play in the street, you'd play in the car park, you'd play anywhere you were able to play. Uh, so, yeah, just really kind of growing up in, uh, in Scotland, west of Scotland, kind of playing football in school, playing football with your friends. Uh, kind of early, probably if I look back, I'm kind of early memories of a game. I probably think the first you always talk about the first World Cup that you remember. Uh, and I would probably say it was Italia, it was definitely Italia 90, it was my first kind of football World Cup memory. Early 90, a good one for the Irish, too. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, it was definitely, I remember watching the opening ceremony. Uh, I remember like the, the games going through it and stuff like that as well. So uh, yeah, it's, it's strange as it's, as you get older, you start to remember these kind of the memories of, I mean, obviously playing the game, is which gives you the passion for it. But also as you get older, you kind of remember the games that you watched, like growing up as a young person that also gave you that passion and, and love for the game. Yeah, it's interesting, like asking that question of many Steam player developers such as yourself recently, Fraser. Two World Cups that always come back to me as earliest football memories are Italia 90. And also mm -hmm. the one in 1994. So yeah. it's uh, it's amazing to see that being such a prominent team and a crossover perhaps into coaching and whatnot. But, um, I mean, obviously nowadays you're working in the pro ranks, but, I mean, like many others, there is no throbbing path and yours in that sense is pretty unique. Um, So just take us back maybe, Fraser, through the earliest days in which you began your coaching journey at home in Scotland. Yeah, so again, like a lot of people, uh, I started as a, a volunteer. It was actually my uh, PE teacher at school. I went to Johnston High School and I had a PE teacher there called Gordon uh, Mothersall. Uh, and he used to be like a, a community coach at, at St. Martin Football Club. Uh, and he got me involved. And it was basically uh, like volunteering. I was just coming in and it was the usual helping out, assisting the, the community coaches. I was like probably 16 at the time. I did a, like a, a week's work now and back then at school you did a like a week's work experience at a place. So I did it at uh, St Mun Football Club, but I did it the I don't know if you may not know people who know St Mun will know at the old stadium they used to have a gym like a public gym underneath one of the stands uh, at the old stadium the old, the old Love Street. Uh, so I did a, a week's work experience in the gym. So it was like just a kind of gym attendant uh, when I was sixteen through the school. But my PE teacher, as I said, was also a community coach there. So off the back of that, he got me involved with uh, uh, the kind of community classes that were held at the stadium uh, during the weekend at weekends. Uh, and again, it was literally assisting the coaches. There was no coaching as such for me, uh, but it was really helping, supporting, assisting, as a lot of people do. Uh, and I did that for a few years, probably around about 18. 
I then probably was still doing more community stuff, but then I was like maybe what doing a little bit more like under 11s, under 10s. Back then, they didn't have that kind of pro youth setup at that age group, but then you're kind of working on these kind of young development squads, uh, 18, 19, 20, and then it kind of gradually just kind of grows from there, like most people. Uh, and as I say, from when I started to when I left Sutman, uh, I was like 16 years from volunteer right through to full time, a couple of various positions uh, and full time within the club. And then when I left, uh, I was like a assistant academy manager. Sounds quite the journey, but also at the time as well, taking on such a varied workload, it sounds to me as if it was a period of incubation and going from community work to being a gym attendant to working with the 16s, the 18s, it must have given you, it must have stimulated a wide variety of ideas that you would have been able to cross-pollinate across a whole host of age categories. Yeah, I mean, as I say, it's a month back then and you can see just now how well we're doing, but if you're going back to then, it wasn't, we didn't have a lot of staff. There was basically... At that time, the how it worked, it was basically myself who was full-time in the community programme. So I was like the SFA development officer. Uh, so I was like a dual role. That was my first full-time job, which I would probably have been about 24 back then. So everything up until then was like part-time and working in the academy, working in the community programme. Uh, and then obviously when I was about 24, I think, uh, I got the first full-time job, which would have been the SFA development officer, but based at St. Mon Football Club. So at that point, uh, obviously, I did a lot of the community work, a lot of the SFA programmes within the community. But the, the benefit of that as well, I was still able to work within the academy. But basically, you had myself, who was working in the community programme full-time, and then you had David Longwell, who was the academy manager. And we worked very closely together. Uh, we worked for many years together. Uh, and then when the club sold Love Street and then kind of developed a new stadium, they developed the training ground at Ralston, they kind of restructured things a little bit. And then that's when I moved over to be full-time. I moved away from the, the SFA role and I became like a full-time employee of the of the club within the academy structure. Fantastic. And I mean, back then, I suppose, Fraser, you know, there's no substitute for learning and those early days would have necessitated an awful lot of hours as a coach. However, yeah. was there perhaps any part of the coaching experience which enthralled you or perhaps gave you the most amount of joy? I think just coaching in general, being on the pitch, that from at different age groups. Uh, I look back now and like maybe now, but back then we were basically doing everything. We were working with the under-11s, we were coordinating under-11s and 12s. We were, like I worked with every age group possible. Uh, and... I look back now and that was a great development for me, uh, great opportunities that probably I maybe wouldn't have got at another club. So I'm very grateful and I can see now the opportunity that, that St. Mon gave me and they've done a, done a lot for me and, and people that were, were at the club at the time. So yeah, as I've obviously got older and you move on, you start to be work a wee bit more at specific age groups. But during my time at St. Mon, there probably wasn't there wasn't an age group that I didn't work with at, at some point, which gave me a great kind of grounding and understanding of especially ages and stages. I'm a big believer in ages and stages of for player development and what age they're at, but sometimes then what stage they're at. So being at St Merlin and having such a vast opportunity to work with so many different age groups over a 16-year period, uh, that, that also helped me learn a little bit more about that kind of age and stage of development of young players. You know, and it's very, you know, we're going back here to 2007, 2008, 2009, 
and it's very hard to obviously fast forward and think in terms of decades, think in terms of stratums, but from speaking to you now and meeting you in Philadelphia Union to hearing you speak about your journey, it's without doubt in my mind an awful lot of the traits that you would have nowadays, such as strong work ethic, you know, quality to your work, agility working across all facets of the organization, resourcefulness, you know, if it wasn't for that back then, there is no feasible way as to how this career path would have transpired. So in terms of young coaches building out their journey, like how important are actually some learning some of these principles right at that apprenticeship stage? Yeah, I think it is important. Uh, I don't want to sit here and sound like a, an old man, but it's probably as different generations. I mean, I didn't grow up in the, when I first started coaching, there wasn't like so much resources online. There wasn't like Twitter or like websites where you could, you could, you didn't, you could develop and learn by sitting in your own house as well and, and spending hours on a laptop, which I think is, is, is great as well that we have as coaches, there is so much good resources out there online that you can access. But I think also back then, I'm, for me to gain that experience, I couldn't sit in the house and be on my laptop. I actually had to go out uh, and get the practical experience as well. So I think it's important to get a balance of that, of obviously learning. And I don't like the term of or laptop coach because I think it's a wee bit disrespectful because we should all be laptop coaches because that's the way the modern day works in terms of technology that you have nowadays with Huddle, with Sports Code, planning sessions, etc., video analysis. So the modern day coach does have to be a laptop coach, but you also have to have that balance of the practical experience on the pitch. Uh, and whether that's volunteering, whether that's observing sessions, whether that's assisting sessions or, or leading sessions, you have to have that practical experience of actually to back up the, the knowledge. There's a lot of good, good people out there that know the game and understand the game, but being able to transfer that information onto specific age groups, that's what then, especially academy coaching, is about is being able to communicate that message and deliver that information that you know as, as a person who knows football, but how to deliver it to young people and then young players is, is another skill as well. So uh, I'm, I'm glad I, was, I had that opportunity to do that, that, that St. Mon gave me. But yeah, you had to, there was a lot of, even though it was a lot of, maybe people would class it as vol volunteering, but I didn't see it as that. i just seen it as something that I wanted to do and it, it helped me a long, a long, long way. And then speaking about resourcefulness and, you know, ultra-efficiency, uh, right to dream in Ghana. I mean, what yeah. an academy, what a place, what an environment. The call came for you to join them in Accra in 2013, Fraser. Could you take yeah. us through how that set of circumstances occurred? Yeah, so obviously being at St Mon at that at that point, I was obviously full time at the academy, working at Ralston, and do you know what I mean. I, a, I was very fortunate. Uh, the job that I had it was great. I loved what I did, uh, and it maybe probably would have been about maybe 2010, 2011, maybe around about then that I met uh, Gareth Henderby on. Well, I actually met him on my B license, uh, and then the A license we did it together. And Gareth was the technical director at that point. Now, Gareth is also from Scotland. He's from the borders. But he'd been out in Ghana for, for many years and was one of the, the, the main people who helped develop the academy. He was there from basically nearly day one when it was a one-two team academy uh, in, in Accra. And then obviously it's developed into to what it is today. So he's been there since day one. Uh, and you know how it is on, on kind of these coaching courses. You, you get to meet people, you talk, you network. Uh, I never imagined when I'd met Gareth and 
we became kind of good friends and we, we spoke kind of from time to time that he would end up one day offering me a job. But uh, I'd been talking to him one day and I always had an ambition and I always wanted to work abroad at some point. Uh, I never knew Ghana would be a destination. I don't think, uh, I never woke up one day and went, oh, I want to go and work in Ghana. Uh, but I was lucky enough that opportunity came up. Uh, spoke to Gareth, he said there, there was there was a possibility of an opportunity uh, to come out. And I was like, okay, that's not the, the destination I'd originally thought, but in, in hindsight and now looking back, it's the it's the best decision I've made, not just uh, from a, a work perspective, which was was great, but also just as a life expectancy, life experience and and just uh, what what it did to me in terms of my development as a person, but definitely development as a as a young coach at the time. And could you elaborate a bit more upon that? Because it's it's quite a sturdy uh, statement too, right? The best decision you've ever made. Yeah, I think, and I think I'm I'm definitely aware. I mean, everything that you've done helps you get to wherever you are at the moment uh, and where I am just now. That if it wasn't for St. Mon, if it wasn't for Right to Dream, if it wasn't even for everywhere I've been, Philadelphia, everywhere I've been has has helped me uh, get here. But in terms of just kind of opening up my eyes, uh, one to the world, not just the football world, but the world, uh, obviously, just living and. Living in Scotland, growing up in the West, it's, it's a big world out there. So just that experience uh, of going and living in a different culture, working in a different culture, working with players from different cultures, not just Ghanaian players, but with players from all over West Africa, working with different members of staff as well. So it was a, a great life experience. And and to be honest, that's when I first went out, that's what I was looking at as. It's a, a life experience. I would do it for a couple of years and then see what happened I I never had the that an idea that I would be there for eight years and it would just become a, a part of my life and, and Ghana would become Ghana as a place would become a big part of my life now as well. Uh and then obviously the we did a lot of traveling within it. So it wasn't just that experience of living and working in, in Ghana. We also traveled all over the world, traveled Europe, traveled even to, to Japan. Uh, so the the opportunity to travel through work and develop as a coach in these different environments as well, but even just as life experiences was was uh, great for me. It's pretty incredible too. I mean, if you look at that African African proverb, it takes a village to raise a child, and it's certainly, you know, it's certainly something the Right to Dream organization can attest to. And just with their huge affiliation of networks, it's incredible to see the migration stories and sorry the success stories of an awful lot of the players that go into the organization. Uh, at the very top of that, you look at players that you would have worked with in the past, such as Mohamed Kudos, now the West Ham, Simon Idingra, now at Brighton. Is there a case of, is it about the late developer or when these guys come into your remit earlier on as a coach, you can see these guys are always cut out for the top? Uh, I mean, that's as you mentioned, there's two boys that you mentioned there that have went on to do really well and two two of many uh, that have went on to do really well on the football pitch, but also off the football pitch. There's a lot of graduates, male and female, uh, from the organisation that have went on and, and done a, a lot of good, uh, whether it's been on the football pitch and, and also away from the football pitch and other walks of life. So, yeah, I think there's every player has their own kind of individual story every player has their own individual maybe pathway and how they get there and I don't think there's 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 not at any level of football or any in any academy or any country that 
everyone has a different pathway. Everyone has a different story. Uh, and the two boys that you mentioned there, when I joined the academy, uh, Kudus was already in the academy. I think he'd maybe been there for about a year. Simone was a little bit different. He came in a little bit later. He was, I wouldn't say Simone was a late developer, but he was definitely one that was maybe picked up later uh, from the academy. He wasn't, he didn't come in at a young age. He came in a little bit older. So he had a different approach because I think he's seen it as his, his last opportunity. Uh, and obviously he's taken that. So yeah, it's it's it's, it's good to see the 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 boys and the girls that, that have came through the, the system go on and, and, and achieve their goals and and progress well in whatever avenue they went down, whether it's education, whether it's football. Uh so it's it's really positive to, to see them do that. And it's quite amazing too when you look at it, the amount of players that actually stay in the game, the retention rate is pretty high from the Right to Dream Academy. And I think an awful lot of credit goes to the holistic development approach, which the model yeah. pursues. And at the heart of that was the character development. Could you allude to a little bit of that, Fraser, for people that don't really know too much about Right to Dream in terms of how important the whole holistic development of the individual is to the organisation? Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, like a lot of academies in the world have have that approach. Uh, and I've been away from Right to Dream for a couple of years now, so I'm I'm sure it's even evolved since then and and progressed. Uh, like all good organisations, you're always evolving, you're always progressing. Uh, during my time there, when I first arrived there, the, the there was a big emphasis on just developing young people, which I think all academies have that responsibility to do to. To, because we're, we're not all going to develop footballers through the academy, but we're all going to help develop young people. And I think I think football academies play a part in that. Uh, but obviously the, the players themselves play a big part in it themselves and the families, their, their family, because that's that's where their core values come from. Uh, to begin with, if you join the academy at 10, 11 or 12 years of age, there's still a lot of years before there that you've been with your family. So that kind of grounding that all players or young people get from their family, from themselves before they join academies is also important. Uh, and obviously when they come into Right to Dream, the not the unique thing, but one of the things that, that was new to me and which was a massive benefit, I think, in working with young people was that it was a residential academy. So you, you work with the players more. You're not just working with them on the football pitch, but you're also having breakfast with them. You're having lunch with them. At times you're having dinner with them. So there's more of that kind of day-to-day -day connection and more of, you can build a little bit more of a relationship rather than just seeing them when they train and then they, they go home again. Uh, so that, I think that helped is for everyone who works within the organisation, whether you were a, a, worked in the football department, the pastoral department, or you, you were a, a teacher within the, within the school. I think that kind of holistic approach that everyone was in the same place uh, and you've seen them from day to day and you, you've seen the, the players... And the students outside of football and the teachers seen them outside of class as well. They've seen them as, as young footballers as well because, as I say, they're young people before they're young footballers or young students, they're, they're young people. So, yeah, there was a big... When I first arrived there, there was a gentleman called Paul Wassell uh, who now works at Leicester. Uh, and he he was excellent. I learned a lot from him in terms of he was... He worked in the pastoral department and he had a big input in having that character development uh kind of program within the organization oh and i mean i suppose upon hindsight you know it's 2020 but is there anything that you would have talked in that experience that you would have picked up upon or either noticed that you would have thought this actually would have been quite beneficial if i had access to back in my earlier days in scotland as a coach yeah uh i think the big thing uh there was about the 
the importance of education and doing that. Uh, and regardless, there was a at Right to Dream, they, they they get they gain an academic scholarship. So you do get longer to work with the players. There's not whereas a lot of academies, which is a part of academy football as well, is like players getting released. That doesn't happen within the organisation because they commit to it's a, when they get a scholarship, it's an academic scholarship. It's not after a year or two years and maybe their football hasn't developed, then you think, okay, maybe it's time that he moves on. That that doesn't happen because it's an academic scholarship that they get. So they finish their, their academics. Uh, but it also showed me as well that maybe some players that would drop off for maybe a year or maybe half a season. And you think if this was maybe in another non-residential academy, that, that player might have been released. And then you see maybe 18 months later that the player then comes through it again and then is sees the talent that they've maybe had originally. So it highlighted to me the, the importance of the decision making of making decision making on players because they all develop at, at, at different times and the importance of growth spurts, the importance of when a player does drop off in performance that it isn't a natural reaction to say, oh, he's had a bad six months or he's a bad season, we, we let him go. It, everyone's different, every scenario is different. So having that long-term development mindset sometimes is also persevering and working with a player through those times that they have maybe having a little bit more difficulties on the pitch because that could be so many reasons why they're having that maybe lack of performance or they're not maybe showing the qualities that they did when they were, when they were younger. There's, there's different reasons why that could be happening. Uh, and that showed me a lot that sometimes you need to be a little bit more patient with some players, depending on what they are. For, in my opinion, the higher they are technically, the longer you give them if they're struggling physically, but they have a high level of technical ability. And maybe that technical ability hasn't been shown in games because of the lack of physical development. You give them as long as you can as possible uh, to help them come through that side. Uh, because for me, the, the technical side is, is is so important in the game. Yeah, and it's a maxim that isn't applied to all too frequently in football. You know, long-term games with long-term people. And I certainly think that's one thing Right to Dream has certainly achieved uh, throughout its tenure. And in fact, I mean, you spent eight years at the help of the organisation, two of those years as TD, and in the process building up so many different connections, so many different touch points with coaches and players alike. How hard was it for you to cut the cord in that phrase and then make the move, albeit to a, an esteemed franchise such as Philadelphia Union in the MLS? Uh, I th I, obviously, you say eight years was a... Uh, it was a lot. I mean, people go eight years. It was a long time, but it, it did go very quickly. Uh, it, and I, I, as I said, as I said before at the start, I was very lucky. There was a lot of traveling. There was a lot of, a lot of different experiences uh, that I got to to do, uh, experience and and develop as a person. As I was there to develop players and help develop players, but I also got so much development out of the experience as well. So it was a kind of win win, uh, for for me. Uh. I think after eight years, then maybe sometimes it's it's time for a for a different challenge or just a different environment. Uh, it was a really hard decision to leave Ghana as a, as a country uh, because I, I was really happy there. I'm really happy there. It's a it's a great place. I, I feel happy and comfortable there. But sometimes you think, okay, maybe it's time to move on and, and try something different. Uh, and obviously, the opportunity to come to go to Philadelphia came up, and I felt. It was that that was the right kind of opportunity. I'd had a, one or two other things over the over the years, but I just didn't feel it was the right thing for me at that particular time. But I th felt with Philadelphia, uh, and obviously speaking to 
to Tommy, Tommy Wilson at length about it. It was it was definitely something I thought was the, the right decision for me. And obviously you were put in the role as transition coach too between Philadelphia 2 and the first team and obviously from the academy up to the second team. What mm. were some of the key principles that would have been applied there? Because from the outside looking in and speaking to Max Lankite, who was on the show recently enough, who's the new high-performance director there, and from the day I met you there, it's just such, it seems such a fantastic organisation in terms of all these multidisciplinary teams working together alongside just for the benefit of the player. Yeah. No, I, I love my time. Uh, again, I love my time at the club and the, the city. It was a it was a good place. I'd, when I was young, when I was younger, I'd spent some time in the US, like with working in the the camps, like during the summer for like a few months at a time. So I'd always had that kind of ambition to experience, uh, like working and and living in America full time because I had a taste of it when I was younger during the like the summer camps. Uh, and I, I love my time in Philly. Uh. The, the club is great. It's got a lot of backing the owners and even with the uh, the Graham family who support the academy very highly. Uh, and obviously they have a kind of... And we have the Philadelphia Union have the school as well. So it was, it was very similar set up to Right to Dream in terms of we had Philadelphia have their own school. All the players went to the same school. They could train in the morning before. They could train after school. Biggest difference was it wasn't fully residential. We had a group of players that we had a host family that stayed, but majority of players came in and, and then went home. But there, there was similar th things in terms of the, the academy had a school, so all the players coming into that school, which was good. Uh, and I think I think the same in any business or any walk of life, whatever you're working in, that, that for me, the, the people that, at Philadelphia Union, from the first team staff right down to the academy staff, uh, were, were good people. And I think that's first and foremost the... The most important thing uh, is the the, the the environment you create with the people that you have in it, uh, and I've got in I really enjoyed my time there. I enjoyed the like the people I worked with. I enjoyed the players that I worked with, and the club really had they really backed what they what they preached as well. I think when you speak to people, and obviously before I went to Philly and, and speaking to Tommy, speaking to to other people, even people who work in the US, and they said they had nothing but good things to say about Philadelphia Union. But when you actually get in there, sometimes you then realise, or oh, maybe it's not as clear, but when I started to work there, everything that people had said to me uh, about it and what they were doing and the people that were there was 100% true, which was was great to see that they they practised what, uh, what they preached. Yeah, and it's been interesting kind of just to see you throughout your whole journey and kind of we're charting that obviously now, Fraser. One thing you've been very good at is, you know, essentially taking autonomy over your own learning journey you know and if a next best thing has come up you've rarely turned it down so again going from philadelphia union to like the standard liege working in first team football and graduating into that environment i suppose there's never really going to be an opportune moment as to right place right time or yeah such as when you're ready to make that next jump however the opportunity itself felt a little bit too good to turn down especially in the helm of Ronnie Dyla at the time yeah definitely uh i think it was and it wasn't it wasn't too long after i think you had been there uh i think it was actually maybe only 5 or 6 weeks after actually meeting yourself there and i'm standing talking to you at the side of the pitch saying how great it is how much i'm enjoying it i'm settled in the us and which was all true. I, I wasn't looking to leave. I'd only been there, what, maybe just under a year and a half. So in the grand scale of things, it, for me, I still had so much to learn. I had so much to 
still do and, and develop there. Uh, and I was really starting to feel settled in the job. I'd started to build relationships, obviously, with colleagues, with the players. And then you think, okay, now I can really start to hopefully try and support these players even more. Because it's it's hard to... to I do believe that you've got to try and, and get to know the player before you can really... The, the person, sorry, before you can develop them as a player. Uh, it's hard just to turn up some guy who doesn't know anyone and then try to tell people, oh, you need to be doing this more. You need Like, who are you? Like, you don't know me. Like you need to kind of get to know the person and then get to know the player. Then you can really start to kind of maybe be a bit more honest with them and things that they need to do, but you need to build that relationship. And I felt that I was starting to build those relationships with players. And I loved working with the second team and that transition and uh, between the academy and second team and then the second team to the first team, it, it was really good. But sometimes opportunities come up when you, you least expect them. Uh, and even though I wasn't looking to leave and I loved my time, uh, the opportunity to come to Standard Liège and was was an opportunity that I really couldn't pass up. Uh, and that's why I'd, I'd made the decision. It was hard, but I also felt it was the right decision for me at, at that point, even though it was a hard decision. And I, I felt I felt I felt bad because it went through such a long process to get my work permit to come to the US and then for me to leave, okay, it might not sound it might not sound a short period of time, but for in the terms of employment in terms of being somewhere in football it was a short period of time but and that's another thing it says a lot about the people who work at Philly with with Tommy and and everyone else there that the support that they gave me uh, and that decision was great uh, it was clear like they, said, look, they didn't want me to leave they would be happy if I stayed but they also understood the opportunity that I'd been given and, and they supported me 100% on my decision. And it's obviously, it's not the easiest thing to do, kind of moving into that first team environment, adapting to new role, adapting to new country, new language. And obviously throwing in what else, you know, you have the pressure cooker of results where the day today has a little, just a tad little bit more significance than before. I mean, has your process had to evolve or change since making a move to Belgium? Uh, me as a person, no, I don't, I think, Again, nothing's really changed in terms of what I've spoke about previously, about just obviously working, having a good work ethic, uh, just trying to do the job to the best of your ability, uh, learning from your mistakes. But it's also important, I think, you can to, to own your mistakes. And if you do make mistakes or you do things, it's, it's a learning thing. Uh, you've got to take responsibility for them, uh, build relationships with staff, build relationships with, with the players. Uh, and obviously, it is a different environment in terms of country in terms of the level of football as well and you're working more yeah we've got some young players in the first team which is which is great and that's what's really good about any first team who want to develop the the young players as well but there's also a lot of good experienced players in there as well so it's it is a different dynamic uh in terms of coaching and sometimes how you coach but at the same time it's still working with people uh, which is a, a big thing, regardless of the, the coaching or your football knowledge. It's just been able to work with people. Obviously, people being key to that. I mean, you've worked at the Heart of Player Development now in three different continents. And I mean, you're one of those coaches too that's very fortunate to see the fruits of your labour in terms of players progressing through the ranks that you would have played a role in their development. But obviously, transitioning from all the way from academy football to the first team environment mm -hmm. where you are now, Fraser, I mean, how do you see football development pathways evolving in the coming decade or so? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, 
and I suppose the the next decade will tell us that. I, I do think I think if you even look just now, uh, and this is me sounding like old, but we are working with different generations. Even young people learn differently now to how it was when I went to school. So how you were taught now, even from an academic point of view, is totally different to to how I was taught when I went to school. Uh, and I think that's something that maybe older coaches, and I'm not saying I'm not an old coach, but I'm definitely from a different generation to maybe the players that are coming through now within academies or even young players who are coming in to the first team environment. It's not just academy players, it's it's young first team players as well who, who have been brought up in a different a different way of learning in school, but also in academy. So I think, I don't know what will, what will change or what will develop in the next 10 years, but I just think it's important as coaches that we are ready to adapt and maybe move with those modern times. Uh, as we said before, like, maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, like you didn't really need a laptop. If you're honest, it was pen and paper and it was get out on the pitch and do it. Whereas now as coaches, we've had to develop different skill sets in terms of, as I said previously, but using different software, uh, how we analyze games, individual clips. Uh, analysis has, has became a massive part of uh, player development. Obviously we use analysis maybe for opposition and stuff like that, but I think for player development, it's a massive tool that we have now to help develop players. Uh, there's so much more that you can do to help develop a young player off the pitch as well as, as on the pitch now, whereas that's probably going to... I don't see that going away. I see that maybe getting more and more uh, over the next few years. So for me, I think a key word in coaching, but a key word in football for players as well is being able to adapt. As coaches, can we adapt to situations? Can we adapt to situations in games? Can players adapt to situations, being in the team, not being in the team, maybe being out of position, being asked to do something that they 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 want to play this position, but they've been asked to play that position. Players need to adapt, but coaches need to adapt as well. And I think that's a great skill to have within the industry. And I think as time moves on and new trends come in in terms of how you play the game or how you deliver coaching sessions or how you work with players, we all need to adapt and learn new skills as well. And I mean, undoubtedly, throughout this conversation, there would have been a lot of coaches' curiosities peaked from a variety of different levels and notwithstanding inspired from your own developmental journey today, Fraser, in terms of how you've adapted and how you've progressed through the ranks, taking principles, taking lessons from the previous before and applying them into a new context. But for those that are wishing to embark on a not-too-dissimilar career path to yourself, what would be the one bit of key advice you'd have for them? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. For for me, you could you could look at it in different sections. Uh, I've been really lucky that I've got to. I've always I've always say this, and some people that know me well will probably laugh because I say this a lot. Like I'm, I'm I know how fortunate I am to have a job. Never mind a job I would do as a hobby. Uh, so I'm really lucky uh, to have a job because I, I know there's maybe not a lot of people that would do their job for a hobby, which I would. And I'm even extra lucky that it's allowed me to travel the world and see so many different things and meet so many different people and experience so many different life things, which has been great. And I, uh, I appreciate that the opportunity that I've been given. I think from if people are wanting to move away and live in abroad, I think the best advice I would give is to try and understand the culture that you're going to go and work in. F- football's football. It stays the same. It's 11 v 11 goals. You don't go to a different country. Maybe the style of play or the style of players are slightly different from country to country, but in terms of the 
the core values of the game doesn't change. It's, it's football. But I think what can help you more and adapt to that environment or build relationships is actually understanding the culture that you're going to live in. Now, you have the culture that you have at the club that you go to work in. But I, when I say the culture, I mean the culture of the country, uh, which is so important. Uh, just general things, how, because as you know, everyone's different. I mean, you you go from Scotland to England, it's like different, never mind going to a different part of the world. So the, the bit of advice that I would give to someone, if you are going to move abroad and you are going to go and work, try and learn as much as possible about that country as a country and the culture and the people that you work with, which then will help you in the job. Fantastic. Fraser Robertson, thank you so much for joining the show today. No problem. Thanks very much.